1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, now as we approach your word and desire to, to hear, truly hear, we are saying to us as a church, we pray for your help. Um, Lord, there are different things going on in our hearts and on our minds, and Lord, I just pray that you would overcome the distractions, overcome the, the hurts that may be on our hearts right now, and help us to hear what you have to say to us through your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you read the uh, Stanton Register regularly, then uh, you may have read about another church that's closing in Stanton County, uh, St. Peter Lutheran Church in Pilger. Uh, the second uh, mainline church to perma permanently close its doors in Stanton County in the past year with the uh, Stanton uh, United Methodist Church closing last June, and I know that, that over the years, uh, the population in our, our county has, has dropped, and that's definitely affected these churches, uh, but still, this has been a fairly common occurrence for churches in mainline denominations, particularly in the past 10 years, and now when I say mainline churches, I'm referring to those churches which are uh, more traditional uh, historically Protestant churches within our country in the last uh, uh, decade from uh, 2010 to 2020, um, these denominations have lost a significant number of, of members as well as churches. Uh, the United Methodists have lost 2.25 million members in the past decade. Um, ELCA, uh, that's the Lutheran Church of America, lost 750,000 Members and the Presbyterian Church USA lost 830,000 members the past decade. So those numbers cannot be explained by simply population declines in rural areas of the country. Uh, something else is going on uh, with those churches, especially when you consider the origins of those churches. So if you look at the origins, uh, the Lutherans were coming out of the Reformation, where uh, Martin Luther stood up to the dominant Roman Catholic Church and said that they were not teaching the true gospel. Um, and he read the Bible and wrote his conclusions about what the, the scriptures taught about the gospel. He saw there that, that sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, as taught through the, the scripture alone. The Presbyterian Church's history is also traced back to the 
Reformation and some of the most clearly and carefully sound biblical teaching uh, in their confession of faith, in, in the Westminster Standards. And then there are the, the, the Methodists who trace the heritage back to the revivals of the 18th century led by uh, John Wesley and George Whitfield. Uh, the Methodist preachers in the early days of, of our country were some of the most evangelistic men in recent church history. They canvassed our young, young nation on horseback, planting Methodist churches wherever there was a settlement of believers. And of course, most of the believers there in, the, in those settlements were converted under their evangelistic preaching. So we have to ask, well, what happened? What happened to those churches that seem to have such a strong foundation? Well, listen to this description of mainline churches from a current sociologist, and we, and we, we might find an answer. Uh, again, this guy is not um, evangelical in any sense. He's just reporting what he sees and studies. He says, uh, these de de denominations, these mainline denominations are viewed as having adopted more liberal theologies and open stances uh, to new ideas and societal changes. They tend to be influenced by higher biblical criticism and have almost fully sanctioned the, the ordination of women and are increasingly open and welcoming to those who practice homosexuality and transgenderism. In general, he says, mainline churches are less focused on doctrine. So these churches started strong. They believed the Bible. They were very concerned about souls. And they preached the gospel. But they have departed from that and are now dying. They did not take the warnings like we see here in 1 Timothy seriously. Paul was concerned for the church in Ephesus, and that is the reason he wrote to Timothy. He was concerned that they would swerve away from the truth, from the gospel, and would not represent their Lord and Savior faithfully by their lives and by their teaching. So that's why he wrote this letter. And that's why we are going to spend uh, the first part of 2023 uh, in this letter, for I am concerned, as you all should be too, that our church remain faithful to the truth both now and into the next generation. So our main theme that we see in the first seven verses here is that churches must prevent any teaching that fails to promote lives marked by sincere faith, love, and godliness. Churches must prevent any teaching that fails to promote lives marked by sincere faith, love, and godliness. So this is the first letter or epistle of what are known as Paul's pastoral epistles, the two letters of Timothy and Titus. Um, and the, the letter is, is addressed to Timothy, but, but as we'll see, it was meant uh, for the whole church to hear this apostle's teaching. Uh, he was concerned for the church, and, 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 and there were those within the church who were teaching something different than the true gospel. Uh, so this morning, we'll, we'll focus on what Paul says in his greeting. That's in verses 
1 and 2. There, Paul emphasized uh, the source of every spiritual blessing is God the Father through Christ Jesus our Lord. Then in verses 3 and 4, Paul puts, puts the focus on the problem that he's addressing. He says, churches must guard themselves against false teaching, which fails to promote God's way of salvation. And then verses 5 through 7, Paul will argue that churches must recognize teachers whose faith is sincere from those who have swerved away from the truth. So those are, are the, the three points um, in your sermon notes if you have those out in your bulletins uh, for you to follow along with. So again, back to the first point, verses 1 and 2, the source of every spiritual blessing is God the Father through Christ Jesus our Lord. So right at the beginning of the letter, Paul identifies himself as the author of the letter and then further explains his role or position in regard to this church that he's writing to. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Now, what does it mean that Paul was an apostle? Uh, maybe you, you recognize the title apostle. Maybe you know that Paul was one along with the names of, of men like Peter uh, or John in the New Testament. But if someone asked you what being an apostle of Christ Jesus really meant, maybe you'd struggle to explain what it really means to them. So the definition of apostle means a, a delegate, an ambassador, uh, one who is representing someone or something else. And when Paul spoke to the churches and church leaders, as he does in this letter, he spoke with the authority of Jesus. He spoke on behalf of Jesus. His words were Christ's words. Paul's commands in these letters were Christ's commands. When Timothy reads this, this uh, letter to his church in Ephesus, and when we read this letter today, we are to think of this letter as coming from Christ himself, the head of the church and Lord of all the earth. Paul is his apostle. Paul is his representative. So these are Paul's words. He's, he's writing them. But Paul was speaking for Christ. And we're then introduced to Timothy in, the, in verse 2, where Paul calls him my true child in the faith. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Timothy is mentioned along with Paul in the book of Acts. And Paul talks about him quite a bit in uh, his other letters. He was a young man when Paul first met him and possibly uh, led him uh, to faith in Christ. Although Paul mentions in 2 Timothy that Timothy's mother and grandmother were very instrumental in teaching the scriptures to him while he was growing up. Timothy and Paul obviously had a very close relationship as Paul uh, is described here as, as a father in the faith to the younger Timothy. So Paul was his mentor, Paul was his pastor, Paul was his teacher, he was his friend. Uh, if you are here as a Christian this morning, well then you are someone else's true child in the faith. As I look back on my life, um, there are a number of, of uh, people whom the Lord used to help me to come to faith in Christ. 
and, and, and then disciple me in my spiritual growth uh, from youth group leaders and Sunday school teachers in my home church to uh, friends in high school and college uh, who are just a little more mature in their spiritual growth uh, than I was, helping me along, showing me the way. Uh, pastors who took me under their wing and, and challenged me to, to take that next step uh, in my spiritual growth, even gave me opportunities to serve like Paul was doing here uh, with Timothy, trusting me with responsibilities. Uh, those, those, those kinds of mentoring and discipling relationships are essential to the growth of the church. They're essential for the development of church leaders. So brothers and sisters, we as a church need you. We need you to come alongside younger believers to invest in their lives, to, to, to help them grow, to, to help them to take the next step in their Christian walk. You ought to have children in the faith. And if you are a younger believer in here, well then you need a Paul or a Pauline. You need someone who is just a little further down the path of spiritual maturity to look up to, 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 to learn from. So I encourage you to seek them out. Ask them questions. Ask if you can meet with them and read the Bible together or maybe a Christian book together. T Timothy had that kind of relationship with Paul. And the only way the church has continued through the generations since then has been older believers coming alongside younger believers and teaching them and showing them how to live out the faith. So I encourage you to, to be, be about doing that. Paul then directs your attention to, to the main characters in the letter, in the greeting. It's in verse 2, second half of verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Of course, he already, already mentions them in verse 1, saying there that he is an apostle by the command of God the our Savior, and Christ Jesus our hope. So there, in verse 1, he identifies God the Father as our Savior. That is our salvation was from God the Father. It was his desire and his plan, and he accomplished it through God the Son, through Christ Jesus. God the Father is the source of our salvation. As Paul says in his letter to Titus, Titus 3, 4 and 5, he says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom, it says, he, that's God the Father, poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So in those two verses in Titus 3, Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is called our Savior. But he's called our Savior because God the Father is our Savior, who saved us through his Son, as well as by the Holy Spirit. So as Paul then says at the end of verse 2 in 1 Timothy here, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are always to think of God the Father as being the source of every spiritual blessing we have or will ever receive. Our salvation, sparing us from the condemnation and wrath our sins deserved, the forgiveness of our sins, restoration to life, and then reconciliation with him, with God, and eternal life with him in glory. Our resurrection from the dead, otherwise known as grace, mercy, and peace. All of those blessings and many more are under those three labels, grace, mercy, and peace. And it's all found in God through the saving work of Christ. So if you're looking for those blessings, there's only one place to go. Christ, go to Christ, and through Christ, God will grant you those blessings. He is a source of our salvation, and we must take care to guard the message of his salvation then so the church can continue to pass it on. That's his concern in verses 3 and 4. Churches must guard themselves against false teaching, which fails to promote God's way of salvation. Let's look at those verses again, verses 3 and 4. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So we learn from the book of Acts that Paul had a special relationship with the church in Ephesus in Acts 20, 31. Uh, we read that he was with them for three years, teaching them, he says, the whole counsel of God. He poured his heart and soul into this congregation, but the Lord called him to go elsewhere. He was the Lord's apostle to the Gentiles. He's, he, had, he was called to go elsewhere. And so in Acts 20, uh, 29 through 30, Paul records, I'm sorry, Luke records Paul warning the elders of this church in Ephesus that he says, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So, he says, always be alert. Well, we're not sure how much time has passed since Paul gave that warning, uh, but it seems that things have played out uh, uh, just as Paul predicted. It says there were certain persons in the church in Ephesus who were teaching a different doctrine to the flock there, which, uh, if not stopped, would result in church members wandering away from the truth of the gospel. Paul refers to these teachers as certain persons twice, there in verse 3, and then later in verse 6. Uh, no doubt Timothy was well aware of who these certain persons were that Paul mentions here. It's possible that when Timothy was, was reading this letter uh, to the gathered congregation, uh, that there could have been some sideways glances you know, from members of the, of the church towards these certain persons that, that Paul is bringing up here. Uh, and Timothy was supposed to, to, to speak with them, 
again, probably not privately, but probably in front of the whole congregation, and command them to no longer teach any different doctrine. And he goes on to describe what was included in these different doctrines in verse 4. And what was the main problem with their different doctrine? What's the trouble with, with the different doctrine here? Well, as we see at the end of verse 4, it was that their teaching was not from God. Look at verse 4 again. Nor to devote themselves to myths and the genealogies which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God, that is, by faith. That was the key reason why what they were teaching was different. Whatever it was, it was different from God's way of salvation. His way of salvation by faith alone through Christ alone. And it was different from, from that doctrine than it was, uh, if it was different from, from that doctrine, if it was different from the, the, the salvation that, 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 that God's revealed to us in Christ alone, well then it is a false doctrine. It is not the teaching of God. It's false. It's misleading. It's not orthodox. Orthodox means right or faithful doctrine. Heterodox, which is the word that the Paul uses here, means false or, or different doctrine. So that, that, that's the key to testing someone's uh, teaching, is whether or not it's faithful to what the Bible teaches, to what's been revealed to us from God. Is it from God or is it from man? One of the troubling things that you see in the mainline denominations today is how they are following the doctrines of our, our current culture, the doctrines of man, rather than the Bible. The Bible clearly says, for example, homosexuality, uh, homosexual practice is sinful, that it is condemned by God, that all who sin in this way will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the pastors and the teachers in these denominations are saying actually the opposite is true. God says it is evil. They are increasingly saying that it is good. They are following the teaching of men rather than God. They are relying on myths and legends rather than on Scripture. So we need to ask, ask ourselves also, does the teaching promote speculation, as Paul mentions here? Does it promote speculation uh, rather than affirming the truth of what the Scriptures say? Uh, I, I've overheard many discussions among evangelicals regarding uh, the end times, for example, which would definitely fall into the category of speculation. Uh, there is a great upsurge in uh, these speculations on the end times being shared around on the internet during the whole uh, COVID craziness a few years ago. Uh, speculation uh, will have the effect of raising doubts in the minds of those who are being taught. They will begin to doubt what they have been taught in their churches by faithful Bible teachers. They're not hearing about these speculations from their Bible teachers. They're hearing about them from other, other teachers. Well, then maybe my teacher is not reliable because he's not talking about those things. That's the kind of thing that's, that, that Paul is, is referring to here. This could, this could then lead to, to doubting the gospel, 
questioning everything that they're hearing from their faithful Bible teachers, questioning whether the scriptures can be trusted, and doubting the, reali- the reality of sin and our desperate need for salvation. O- on the other hand, teaching that is from God will bring forth faith rather than doubting. Faith comes from hearing and, and hearing through the word of Christ, and that is from the revealed word of Christ. That is the gospel found in the scriptures. Speculation leads to doubts. Revelation leads to faith. And revelation is what we have in the scriptures. So we need to take care as a church to guard ourselves against false teaching which fails to promote God's way of salvation. That is faith alone in Christ alone. And I want to just for a moment talk with children and young people. So children and young people here, before you know it, in just a few years, you are going to leave your parents' house. I know that that, that time uh, seems like a long, long ways away for you, but that time will come much faster than you think it will. And when it comes, one of the most important things for you to do is to find a good church. Find a good church. When you're looking for a church, make sure that you find one that preaches the Bible and believes the Bible. Not just proclaiming it and teaching it, but you can see that they're living it out. It's transforming their lives. They're obeying what it says. One where they are are getting their message from, uh, uh, on Sunday mornings, the sermon, uh, Sunday school teaching, they're getting their message straight from what the Bible says. One where uh, they respond with humility to what the scriptures are saying. And they honor Christ as the only way of salvation, as God's way of salvation by faith. The great reformer John Calvin wrote in his most famous book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, he says that faithful ministers are not permitted to coin any new doctrine. They are simply to cleave to that doctrine to which God has subjected men without exception. We are only to teach biblical doctrine. We are to teach what the Bible says. If it's new, it's probably not true. The only way this church will survive is if we continue to teach and promote orthodox doctrine both now and for the generations to come. And then thirdly, uh, verses 5 through 7, churches must recognize teachers whose faith is sincere from those who have swerved away from the truth. Let's look at those verses, verses 5 through 7. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So one thing is very clear in this letter, and it is that Paul has a great concern for this church. He loves this church. We read elsewhere he was anxious for the churches that he helped to start, and what makes him anxious? What was Paul's great concern for these churches? It is that they would not swerve away from the truth. He doesn't want them to swerve away from from the truth of the gospel. So let's turn to chapter 3, verses 14 
and 15, for, for in these verses, Paul lays out his main concern uh, for this letter, for this church, pretty clearly. And I love it when Paul makes it so clear as he does here. So verse 14 and 15 of chapter 3, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that. So there it is. Here's the purpose for why I'm writing this letter to you. I'm writing these things to you so that, verse 15, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So if the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth, then it must not swerve away from the truth or it will collapse and die. It will cease being a church. That, my friends, is what you are seeing happening to the mainline churches of our country. No longer a pillar and buttress of the truth. Therefore, they're dying off one after another. But what, what does Paul mean here by the truth. What he means is it's the true doctrine as opposed to the different doctrine of verse 3 in our passage. The stewardship from God that is by faith in verse 4. It is, it is primarily God's way of salvation. God's revealed truth that we have in the scriptures. It's also referred to as the faith in uh, chapter 3 verse 9. And also in five other verses of 1 Timothy, the faith. Also the sound doctrine in chapter 1, verse 10. Also the teaching in chapter 6, verse 1. In almost all of those verses, the expression is preceded by the definite article, the truth, the faith, the sound doctrine, the teaching. Of course, that indicates then that there is this body of doctrine that was understood that was the standard. It was the teaching of Christ and his apostles, which we now have in the New Testament. That's the teaching. That's the doctrine. That's the truth. We have it. Christ has revealed it to us. But what you may also have noticed in, in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, was that Paul wasn't just concerned that the church would believe the truth. He's also concerned on how the church behaved Look there again, verse 15, or verses 14 and 15. In fact, it says here, how the church behaved revealed what the church believed. If, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul's other great concern for the church is that of whether the believers have transformed lives, whether their lives uh, our lives of godliness, uh, that is if they are walking and living according to the truth. So look back now at verse uh, 5 of chapter 1. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim of teaching the truth or right doctrine is love. That is, believers who hear and believe the truth would come to love God and love one another. If a church is faithfully teaching sound doctrine, then love will be evident in the church. It will be known. It will be felt. But notice, not love in the way that our secular culture 
would define it. It's not a love without truth, but it is a love that rejoices in the truth. In our culture today, confrontation is considered unloving. It's unloving to confront. Calling people to stop what they are doing is considered to be judgmental and not loving. But when what they are doing is sinful and deadly and will lead to their eternal condemnation in hell, if they need to know that they're heading for a judgment from God who is holy, who will call them to account for how they're living, how they're responding to his truth, we will be terribly unloving not to say something, not to call them to repent and turn away from what they're doing before it is too late. Paul is calling Timothy to act in love. And that love will require Timothy to confront these false teachers and command them not to teach what they were in fact teaching. The kind of love that faithful teaching leads to is love that comes out of a pure heart, it says, and a good conscience and a sincere faith. It is the love of someone or church whose hearts have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. They have come to understand that they are guilty and condemned in their sin and unrighteousness before a holy God and that God in his great mercy has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to save them. And Christ fulfilled all righteousness for them through his faithful obedience to God and his sacrificial death on the cross. And then he, he rose again from the dead in order to justify them before a holy God. So those whose hearts are pure came to trust their salvation to Christ alone, believing that he is their righteousness, and they have received the forgiveness of their sin. Their hearts are not pure by their own doing, only by what Christ has done for them. And they receive that by a sincere faith. They then not only have pure hearts through Christ, but they also have a good conscience because of Christ. In other words, they're not hiding anything from God or others. They are convinced that because of what Christ has done for them, that he has taken all their shame, he's taken all their guilt, and all their sin away from them and suffered on their behalf at the cross. Therefore, they've got nothing to hide. Their righteousness is not in themselves, but in Christ. Therefore, they have a good and a, and a clear conscience. If you have a clear conscience before God, well, my friends, you have a clear conscience before everyone. And so, brothers and sisters, our culture today is telling us the loving thing to do is to affirm whatever people want to be and want to do. Just, just, just affirm they're following their hearts, they're being who they believe they, they're, they're supposed to be, so just affirm that, affirm them. That it shouldn't matter what someone believes. It shouldn't matter what someone does. We must just accept them as they are and affirm that they are right in their own eyes. That's all. That's all that matters. 
But when we read this, when we read the word of Christ to us, we see here that it is not loving to affirm everything and everyone. It's not loving. As one pastor put it, in the end, every false theology is murderous to the soul. What is loving is to affirm and teach the truth. The truth that is good for everyone. And that is that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved from the judgment that is to come. Salvation in Christ is the most important thing God has ever planned or accomplished for his people. Therefore, it is the most important message for us to study, to teach, to pass on to our young people, and of course to live. Nothing should distract us from that message. Let us pray. Father in heaven, uh, we recognize our great need for your help in this. Um, for us to be preserved as a church, we depend upon your grace, that you would open up the eyes, the hearts of all of our people here, our children, our young people as they grow up, to trust in Christ alone, to believe your revealed truth, and to walk in it. Father, we pray you would continue to use your truth to transform our hearts that we would love you above all things and love one another, love our neighbors. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen.